Section 13 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Summer Hours on Braden, Part 4. For neighbours, the herons have the kestrels and wood pigeons, and this season a pair of carrion crows. These, the bailiff said, were shy, wary, and silent. They seemed to know they bore the mark of an avine cane. They allowed of no near approach, but glided out of their nest like black spirits, noiselessly and speedily, and kept away until the coast was clear again. Rooks nested there numerously also, and as many as five hundred young ones were shot each season while jackdaws, too, had a few nests in the neighbourhood. Reedham Heronry is by no means a lonely spot in birddom. All the time we were chatting and brushing through the bracken, an hour at least, various species of moths took to wing at our approach, but not so the flies which buzzed around our heads by hundreds. Our hats were like beehives. The prevailing odour must certainly be sweet to them, and no doubt they find the undergrowth a happy hunting ground. They either welcomed us or protested against our presence. I thought they did a great deal of both, and but for decorating the eaves of my hat with a festoon of brake leaves, the torture to me at any rate, would have been unendurable. My friends seemed on better terms with them. They left us, however, when we came out of the car, and in a very short time I left my most communicative friend to hurry to the train, thanking my lucky star that my name and fame had preceded me, and had acted as an open sesame to the good man's store of heron lore. On arrival home, I opened Mr. Southwell's dainty volume on Natural History by Thomas Brown, and could but help wishing that his remark, The great number of rivers, rivulets, and plashes of water makes herns and herneries to abound in these parts held good in its entirety today. But to see such a goodly heronry as that at Reedham was an experience far from uninteresting, and I endorsed his further remark respecting young hensies being esteemed a festival dish and much desired by some palates, for I certainly prefer to wild duck the carcass of a juvenile heron that has not yet grown rank by living long enough on a diet of fishes and other flavouring creatures. July 1895 A Night on Braden Marshes The night cloud is edged with gold as the sun sinks slowly out of sight behind it. Streaks of yellow and red, with spots of purple, freckle and fringe the widespread curtain of the sky. A quietude, 
restful and almost oppressive settles over the marshland it is refreshing after the turmoil and the rumble of the streets in the distant town now grown grey and indistinct as eventide draws a curtain over its strifes and sorrows as the daylight wanes the lamps begin to sparkle and gleam but the darkness seems laggard in its coming to the flat lowland country as imperceptibly night creeps on we were interested when coming upstream in seeing the petulant redshanks clamorously scolding on the river bank or darting on pointed wing that showed streaks of glistening white something had startled that pair of birds the rambling of a bullock perhaps into dangerous proximity to the nest or may it not have been merely their evensong so we thought for a time but turning our eye round to see if the coast is clear as a careful boatman often does we notice a small object afloat in midstream and on a second look we see that it is moving curiosity prompts a closer inspection and a few quick strokes bring us to it the redshank's clangour has if anything redoubled and their excitement too stooping we slip a hand under a tiny bird still covered with a greyish down and recognize it at once as a baby red leg it is a matter of but a few strokes more and our punt glides beside the rond on which we place the little swimmer and as soon as we are deemed at safe distance the old birds joyously come to the wee thing's help why that small bird got into the middle of the river defies our guessing it swam with the buoyancy we have also seen in a nestling peewit in a precisely similar situation these clean-toed waders swim well surely the old birds do not attempt to carry their young as the woodcock sometimes does there was a pleasant breeze just before the sun's face turned glowing crimson and loomed up larger as it neared the empurpled horizon the reeds nodded and rustled their speary leaves at us as our boat brushed past them gliding up the sluice to the moorhen stern to take up our summer night's lodging the author gives the following footnote in the nineties the moorhen was moored in the mildeek at morby when bannam lived at the marsh farm the notes comprising this sketch were made at the time and will help to convey an idea of the loneliness and isolation of Braden. End of footnote. A reed warbler was singing his loudest ditty in the reed clump, but his song scarcely rose above the sound of their playful rustling. With the going down of the sun, the breeze too died away and then the night prowlers and the night flyers took the places vacated by those that loved the day 
it seemed almost like sacrilege the harsh noises of hewing wood for the cabin fire and the preparations for a pot of tea but while the kettle is boiling we sit in the stern sheets of the moorhen and look out into the gloaming a dark object some living creature creeps cautiously out of the reeds and runs along the muddy margin there is just sufficient light in the afterglow to show its form distinctly enough any one with half an eye might have known it at once for a water vole only the unobservant would have called it a water rat and been ready in a moment to throw at it a piece of stick or a bit of hardened mud there are few who do not begrudge a rat its life another vole joins it its mate no doubt they are out for a feed and frolic deliberately does one pull down a thick succulent grass blade nibbling it through at its base and sitting upon its haunches while working away at it with its yellow incisors munch munch we can hear it quite distinctly until the last inch disappears between its teeth now it wipes its face with its finger-like paws scratches its left ear with its hind foot and turns to seize another grass blade when up runs its companion and evidently makes some sign for the two scuttle at once into the safer mazes of the reeds to peer out again directly as if half ashamed of being so nervous the swallows many of which were recently hatched in the crevices and in nests under the beams in the old marsh mill behind us have been wheeling round the mill cap and dashing in and out of its wicket and window until quite dusk whether they wish to curtail the short summer night's napping or to snatch up a few moths to vary the day's gleanings among the flies with a change of diet we cannot say but by the time the bats are on the wing the last swallow has tucked its bill under its wing coverts in the quaint grim edifice the creaking of whose wooden wheels sometimes makes weird lullaby to bird and beast and man within hearing of it little bats and big bats pipistrel and nocturne are now dashing hither and thither overhead there may be even rarer species among them but so little attention which alas often means slaughter as well is given to the cheeroptera that the identity of some of them may be left undecided we cannot mistake the broad-winged noctule for he is a big fellow a foot across his membranous wings and he looms up larger than he really is like a bird in a fog he has a fine set of teeth as we know by experience and can use them well the night-flying beetles and the flittering moths find this out to their cost whether the noctule catches the big door beetles in the folds of his wing i cannot say he halts strangely in his flight sometimes 
and may do so in order to seize upon the beetle. But we rather think so strong-limbed a creature might do damage to those india-rubber-like wings, which are so delicate and sensitive. He is clever, indeed, if in the dusk he seizes his flying prey between his teeth. Anyway, we can distinctly hear him scrunch up the beetle, hard wing cases as well, as he loiters a moment or two in his flight. Our hearing is keener than that of many persons, and we can say, what some disbelieve, that we have often heard the quick snap of a swallow's or a house martin's mandibles closing on a fly as the bird flitted by. As to the number of moths upon the wing, an entomologist might run himself tired in pursuit of the various species. The open doors of the houseboat, with the rays of our lamp shining brightly beyond, attract a number of them, and so many white, grey, brown, and variously speckled creatures flutter into the cabin that it has become an insectarium. Before it was quite so dark as it is just now, we had occasion to push off in the punt to the marshman's house across the river. A distorted willow fronts the house. This was surrounded by quite a host of ghost-like moths, white and as glossy as satin. These a fern owl shortly after found out. Perhaps he knew the spot well and he flitted around quite merrily, jarring his strange whirling note at intervals every time he alighted upon a broken rail beside the tree, and sat tail up, as if the weight of his supper had spoilt his balance. But this is an odd way Master Goatsucker has of resting. Who loves the rippling song of the reeds? loves also the brisker notes of the reed warbler. One at our elbow bursts forth into a spirited roundelay, his one and oft-repeated song. The little fellow, not larger than a linnet, and too bashful to force his presence unduly upon our notice, seems to have a heart so full of merriment that he must needs wake up at intervals during the night to give vent to his exuberance of spirits. This song he sang at Whitsuntide, and he has not yet tired of it, nor have we. We never saw such a fellow. The bolting of a water bowl, the whispering of the wind through the reed bed, the slush of a bream, or the croak of a moorhen, will certainly disturb him, but he is never resentful, never sullen. Instead, he cheers himself with song, like a true philosopher. So he never seems to make enemies, although some take advantage of him. The other day we saw a reed warbler chasing a small blue dragonfly, as it skidded past his lair his home at least, for his nest, suspended on a scaffolding of reed stems, we found in that reed clump. There was a fat young cuckoo in the nest, and the rightful tenants had been shouldered out. 
we looked for them but no doubt some water bowl had found them for a titbit and had eaten them how the young usurper resented our interference snapping viciously at our fingers and protesting with every lifted feather we could have wrung his neck for a couple of pins but that he was now all in all to his foster parents the silly dupes who fed him assiduously enjoying in their ignorance that protective instinct which passes for good works and parental care though they must at times have thought their baby an ugly prodigy and sighed over the labour he gave them their misplaced love kept them busy enough searching for aphis slug and spider and hunting for many a caterpillar it is now midnight everything around has blended into indistinctness save for the dusky outline of solid things the distant trees the mill behind us and the bank top that ends in darkness a few stars twinkle overhead and are reflected in the ditch we are moored in making the shallow cut appear unfathomable moths still flutter in the glowing light that escapes through the houseboat's open door dancing in gaily only to burn their toes and scare themselves around the lamp glass and tiny gnats or mosquitoes with screamy buzz trip in eccentric flight under the cabin roof now and again coming to grief against the hot lamp glass many of the noises the low of a sleepy bullock the croak of a marsh bird and the hum of a droning beetle have all but ceased a few nocturnal species are still afoot and a wing but they are silent as behoves those who prowl when others sleep once we hear the scuffle of a rat with his fellow the manners of mus decumanus are very apparent there was a fight for the possession of a stranded roach at the sluice end we note the quack of a passing fowl and the wail of a wandering curlew we hear too a strange medley of gull cries borne over the marshes from Braden. something has disturbed their slumbers on the flat these nocturnal calls and pipings are by no means unpleasant for they add a fitting weirdness to the night the pleasantest of all the night cries is that of the lapwing two of them are nesting on a marsh hard by one is at present on its nest her companion with others off duty in the locality are worming in a likely corner of the marsh adjoining master hornpie knows well that the worms like the cool evening and worms are his favourite dainties he knows of their presence by the feel of them as in his runnings to and fro their cold bodies touch his sensitive toes the worm is quick to bolt indoors but the lapwing is quicker and seizing it by the head hangs tightly but tenderly to it and at length persuades it to come up and be devoured 
we are of opinion too that those great beady eyes have a barn owl's fitness for seeing in the dark but for these occasional sounds of nature the moments flit by in silence we fain would have them linger as wordsworth seemed to desire when writing summer ebbs each day that follows is a reflex from on high tending to the darksome hollows where the frosts of winter lie there is no mist on the marshes to-night or we had turned in earlier the first hour of a new day finds us still keeping vigil we have just refreshed our lower nature with steaming coffee and ransacked our locker for a dainty hidden there the changes which usher in the daylight are worth the watching the gradual lightening of the eastern sky from deepest blue to palest green the dimming of the stars the streaks of gold and rosy tints lighting up the horizon the dots of purple and the answering tints above head and now to the westward change and pale and brighten giving place to other tints and colours in panoramic succession the sun is throwing up bright sharp rays to herald his coming before we have rolled ourselves up in our blankets and thrown ourselves upon the settles to snatch a brief period of repose all is a blank until we hear the sharp rattle of the marshman's stick upon the side of our cabin he has crossed the river in order to complete his rounds morning and night he patrols his widespread domains to see if the cattle and horses are safe and sound now and again he finds one flanked deep in a deek and on several occasions we have helped him with tackle and block to pull out some half-drowned creature and gathered some of his mushrooms for our trouble the author provides the following footnote in all weathers and seasons save in the depth of winter these walks round have to be undertaken on one occasion a bull had blundered into a deep ditch and required the whole of the available men in the neighbourhood to pull him out whereon he charged all and sundry and a hasty flight was expedient this was gratitude End of footnote. he tramps a score miles each day and often thirty we answer his knock but grunt for a respite and slumber a full hour longer when we turn out for a refreshing bath the sun is well up in the heavens the meadow-brown butterflies and the swallows and a hundred other creatures are on the wing two or three white-sailed yachts have already passed upstream the low banks hide their hulls and they seem to be ploughing through the marshes so serpentine is the course of the bure brown-sailed wherries are careering along before a gentle breeze and the merry good morning governor from a red-capped wherryman is the first salute we receive 
the footprints of a heron in the mud astern of us tell of the strange company we have had since nightfall maybe he had one of the voles for breakfast this morning half an hour later our breakfast over you would have found us trudging merrily along the new road in forty minutes we had left morby hill four miles behind us by river distance and at nine o'clock we timed our watch by the town hall clock End of section 13